Welcome to the Social Flight Live podcast, an audio version of our live show, hosted every Tuesday evening at 8 p.m. Eastern at socialflightlive.com. Social Flight is brought to you by Aspen Avionics, Avidyne, Bose Aviation, Continental Aerospace Technologies, Lightspeed Aviation, Massimo Mighty Sat, Tempest Aero Group, and Whip Air. And now, here's your host, Jeff. Simon. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to Social Flight Live. I'm Jeff Simon. We have such a great show for you this evening. Ryan Johnson and Greg Hughes are here, both uh, both in, in order, president and vice president of Vans Aircraft. Before we get started, just a few things uh, from Social Flight here. At uh, Social Flight, we've got, uh, first of all, tens of thousands of aviation events and destinations happening. And so be sure to check out the app and the website, including tons of fly-ins, which you can see lots of Vans Aircraft at. And we just gave away our, uh, at uh, September 1st, our Fly to Win Challenge Lightspeed Zulu 3 headset. And of course, if you join, there are tons of other prizes that we are giving away on a regular basis there. Also, our Social Flight Live uh, show is now a podcast. So be sure to check that out on your favorite podcast source. Now, Ryan Johnson and Greg Hughes lead the management team of the most successful experimental aircraft company in aviation history. Vans Aircraft has sold more plans and kits than any other manufacturer, and their customers have completed over 10,000 aircraft flying in over 45 countries. Vans designs are fast and efficient to fly, and more importantly, through CNC cut parts and unparalleled factory and builder support, Vans Aircraft has made home building something that nearly anyone can accomplish. In a world where the majority of aircraft kits never see the sky, Vans Aircraft stand alone with more than one build completion happening every single day. Their most recent design, the RV-15, is a bit of a departure from the past because the wing is on the top poised to open the door to backcountry flying to future Vans customers. Please welcome to Social Flight Live, Ryan Johnson and Greg Hughes. How are you guys doing? Oh, hold on a second here. We've got, uh, there you go. How are you guys doing? Very good. good to see you. <laughs> it's good to see you, Jeff. Thanks for having us. <laughs> Absolutely. Hey, uh, so I want to get started before we get to the aircraft and things like that with with a little bit from from both of you because your personal histories on coming to the company and the things that you've done there, I find not only fascinating, but everyone's kind of pet dream of what it would be like to work in the industry that is their hobby, that is their passion. And uh, I guess tenure-wise, we'll start uh, with you, uh, Ryan, as, as kind of the president. You've spent more time at the company. We'll, we'll kick off with you, but tell me a little bit about your background and the path that took you to Vans Aircraft. Uh, yeah, I've worked here. This is the only job I've worked at. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. what do I have to compare it to? It was uh, I graduated on a Sunday and went to work for Vans on a Monday. I worked the worst first uh, week for free because I just knew if I took all the uh, easy, you know, busy work out of the way, they'd have to give me a real project. Um, I started. Uh, you know, as a little kid, I was able to go to the local air show here. I'm from the local area and I saw Van fly. So, you know, I, I saw the RV4 behind the, uh, the ropes there and you'd always walk up to it. I think I was four years old the first time I went to that air show. So, uh, you know, I got to see that early on. I never thought it would be a reality through school. I had, 
I don't want to offend any of the, the big aviation companies, but I had job opportunities at other companies. And uh, I was at a uh, competition uh, and it was judged. And one of the judges happened to, he happened to restore MIGs and knew of an opening at, at Vans. And I happened to give an aviation geared presentation um, that day and I could see his eyes were lighting up. So uh, we connected after that. I went to Vans uh, house and uh, talked to him. We both graduated from the same university. So uh, where's that? Anyway, uh, University of Portland. Um, so we're both MEs, you know, we're not aero uh, engineering. We're not from that side, but we both have a passion for it. I, I think I'd read every aviation book in the local library system. This is before the age of the internet, you know, uh, and uh, of course, coming to work for Vans where you can work, the only thing limiting you is your own inability for time and, and uh, you know, you can make changes to all parts of the airplane. I've worked on all parts of the airplane. The pace at which we work is only again limited by the, the time we have to spend on it. And so just the, the rate at which you can see change happen, you get to interact with the customer and um, see your end product, your design, or, you know, what other people have designed and just the smile on their face. And that's, um, that's something you don't, I don't think you, you get that at a large aviation manufacturer. And uh, no, probably, probably spend a little more, yeah, probably spend a little more time on, on process instead of kind of rolling up your sleeves. <laughs> right. Yeah. It's interesting yeah. that you talk about both you and Vance coming from a mechanical engineering perspective. I, I, I get a lot of uh, uh, questions from young people that are looking to get into the industry. And of course, uh, both my sons, Jake and Ben, are both pursuing mechanical engineering degrees with that same goal. And it's interesting because people do ask the question, do I have to be an aerospace engineer to get into the industry or is mechanical engineering good enough if my goal is to work on the mechanical side of airplanes? We have a variety of engineers here at Vans and um, yes, the arrows have their place. I, you know, they probably know more in depth uh, in some aspects, but after enough years in the industry, you'll gain that knowledge as well. But if you have the, the broad spectrum, you know, I've worked on everything from printed circuit board design. Uh, we brought that with plug and play. Uh, wiring systems to the RV-12. Um, that's the first place that showed up. And then also we have the uh, system that closely mirrors that on the RV-14 where you build the harness into the airplane. So you work on everything from electrical um, to design of the airplane. Uh, and of course, we're a small company. So our, our recent hydropress, uh, you know, I designed the footing for that. And uh, <laughs> you know, how do you support 90,000 pounds of a hydropress that's uh, smashing parts? Uh, you know, it's a, a small company and uh, yeah. the challenges are unlimited. But fans, uh, when you need to expand the factory, you don't go hire somebody to do it. The, yeah. the president, <laughs> you look, chief engineer, you look and, uh, chief bottle washer, chief bottle washer from 11 p.m. to 4 a.m. every night designing footings in the new building. And then, yeah, it's and then fun though. Contractors yeah, it's, to make it happen. So right. That's kind of the way we work. We work yeah. hard on is what we do here. So now, Greg, uh, okay, your your story is amazing, and and for anyone out there who wants to go take a search, you've got a letter online that was it. your letter of <laughs> of applying to join the company, which is it just puts such such a smile on my face. Well, I'm glad I don't remember what it says. To be honest with you, it's all lies. <laughs> totally all lies. <laughs> 
Um, no, until you reminded me of that, I had actually forgotten about that. Somebody mentioned it to me a couple months ago. That I was googled your name and I found this. It's like, uh, it was, yeah, it's kind of cool. I so I've I've worked at Vans now for just a little over four years, so I'm still a baby here. I'm I'm new, right? Still figuring things out. Um, I didn't fly until was in, I always wanted to fly since I was a kid. But I didn't get into aviation and actually got my pilot certificate, you know, in my early 40s. So that would have been you know in 2000. I think I got the ticket in 2009. Was started training in 2008. Bought a Cherokee, um, you know, and then uh, kind of found RVs through Team Flight, the program that was here um, that started here. And now there's a whole bunch of RV12s being built by different STEM programs around the world. Uh, but this is the first one, this program here in, in the Portland area. In fact, the very first airplane was built here in the Vance factory with teenagers. And since then, it's moved over to the Hillsborough Airport across the city. Um, but, you know, I've spent a lot of time working with kids in various capacities, you know, in, in my prior life, <clears throat> um, you know, working with at-risk kids, a lot of backpacking in the mountains leadership programs and all kinds of stuff. And so I knew kids pretty well and I was just starting to get to know airplanes. And, um, I think, I think it was the, here's the engineer thing, right? You know, it's a, um, so Van's brother, Jerry, uh, so, so Van and Jerry and Stan, three of the brothers are all involved in mentoring and team flight and teaching the kids and still do that every weekend. Right. And, and uh, and they're there and, and working every Saturday with these kids. Um, but, you know, Jerry came, I got to know them through EAA, our local EAA chapter, um, which is at Twin Oaks Air Park, the same air park that I learned to fly at. Um, Jerry came to me and said, um, you know, we've got this program. I don't know if you've heard it or not, but we're building this airplane, um, building these airplanes with these kids. And he says, you know, we've got a whole bunch of engineers there and a bunch of people that think like engineers. And so we really understand how to build the airplanes. We have no problem with that. And he paused and he said, but, but these kids are pretty hard to figure out. <laughs> and... Uh, <laughs> So they basically asked if I wouldn't mind coming by and maybe seeing if I might be able to help out a little bit with that. So that's what I did. And then from there, kind of caught the bug. And uh, a friend of mine there was also mentoring. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So am I usually. <laughs> but a friend of mine, I, a friend of mine there, Jim, was building an RBA day and project and had decided that, you know, he was not, not going to finish it. And I picked that up from him. So I'm one of those used airplane project buyers. Uh, got into that. Um, and, you know, sort of one of those organic paths, right? It, um, it just sort of does what it does. Um, I really, I really caught the bug, um, to use the present vernacular. And, uh, um, I've been working in, in, uh, cybersecurity and prior to that in law enforcement and stuff for, for a few decades. And, but I decided that, uh, uh, I was done with the great big Fortune 500 company, the big company process thing, um, and that I wanted to change. And the opportunity happened to come up here, and um, you know, I was I was talking with my stepdad. It was uh, right before he died, and you know, he's he's the kind of guy that's kind of like you know, you got to save, you never, you know, it's important retirement. You got to do all that kind of stuff. But he said to me, he said, "Well, are you happy doing what you're doing in the prior career?" And I said, "No, not really." And he said, "Well, you know what you want." you know what you love and what you want, right? Because you know, aviation. I said, yeah. And he said, well, then what's stopping you? And I said, you're the last person in the world that I thought would tell me it's okay for me to, to make that kind of financially irresponsible decision. <laughs> but I did, I did. And, you know, I haven't really looked back. It's been a lot of fun. Um, you know, I, it's, it's, uh, it's a great company with a lot of really amazing people and a really cool product, right? You know, and the airplanes are amazing, but, more more amazing than the airplanes 
um, at least a little bit more amazing than the airplanes are the people that work here and the people that that buy and the kits and build the airplanes and fly them. You know, I mean, it's a great community, a bunch of really amazing people. Uh, I know I've learned an awful lot since I've been here. <laughs> yeah, there's Still no end to learn. Line. Yeah, um, but and customers as well. But you know, I even I and I'm not an engineer, right? Um, you know, I'm a guy that's worked in industries, several industries over you know a few decades and has put together some experience. But um, you know, I mean, I'm I'm learning to build an airplane just like anybody else that picks up their first kit. And I come here, and you know, I've never worked in a factory before. You know, I've I certainly you know run teams of people and whatnot. But coming here to do this was you know, it was a pretty big learning curve, and I'm still learning. But but the cool thing is, is that I can come here and I can learn some of this stuff, and then I pick up new skills, and I get to continue to to learn and grow and have fun and do new things, you know, and um, Ryan's point that, you know, that you made a few minutes ago about, you know, this is a kind of company, the size that we're at, where you still have an opportunity to, to, to idealize something, to have a concept and to take it to full fruition products in the hands of customers and stuff. And, you know, I see that our engineers here, you know, and we have an amazing engineering team um, also, but, you know, and they, it's, it's a unique opportunity to be able to do something that is so broad reaching and, and own it from sort of soup to nuts, right? You know, it's the whole the whole thing, beginning to end, that we're able to, um, you know, all of us are able to to do that. Um, that's really a big part of what makes it so much fun to work here. It it seems to me that it, when we look at at all these different uh, companies uh, that that make uh, different you know experimental aircraft, and and I root for as you do, you know, for all of them, right? We love we love sure. all this. Um, Vans is unique in that it has such a well-defined kind of like identity and group of priorities almost as a, as a company, you tend not to, you, you evolve and you come out with really innovative things like the 15 we're going to talk about. Um, however, everything seems to be very, very true to your roots and what those priorities are. Tell me a little bit about that concept. Uh, of really kind of being in a way you, you can almost think of it as being rigid, but in a very positive way, like I did, you know, making sure that whatever you do sticks to those. I think it's made, I think of it as a strong foundation. <clears throat> yeah. That Van said, right. Right. He's everything's built on honesty. So beyond being honest with the customer, you have to be honest with yourself when you're designing something because you can't design something that is unattainable or compromises too far in one direction so that the overall design becomes something nobody would want to fly or not many people would want to fly. Mm -hmm. So, uh, and you know, honesty as a designer, you can't just design for your own body size. <laughs> you have to design for the market. Right. So, uh, and, uh, just willing to go back and get it right and keep, keep iterating, um, not get stuck in documenting, but rather, test, iterate, iterate, get, get things where they need to be, what the customer would want to feel, what you want to feel in the airplane when you fly it and how it performs. Uh, I think it would, you know, it's, it's driven by the fact that Van had to fly out of a very short strip, mm -hmm. yeah. but he wanted to go fast. So why do I have to compromise? And uh, it's driven also by a, um, a respect to the aesthetic. So, you know, he was the first person to really have good quality bubble canopies and fiberglass. I would say if you compare him to the other kits in the early seventies, late sixties, it was a leap forward. And, um, anyway, over time, you know, put all that together and, uh, we're where we're at now. 
It applies not just to new ideas, but also to refinement of the existing airplanes. It right. applies, you know, um, you know, advancing the state of the art there. It applies to safety, right? Um, you know, and and honesty, safety is a big driver. Honesty and safety is a really important thing in this industry, right? You know, I mean, there's times, you know, if we discover something that we need to change and we need to let people know about, then we change it and we let people know about it. You know, it's a... Um, Stories, yeah. Stories make these kind of fun, <laughs> these interviews. And I remember the year the RV-10 rolled out, uh, just to tell you how honest Van is, we're about to leave for Oshkosh. Everything, you know, there's not much time when you leave for Oshkosh because you have to do a zillion things. And you Van probably, picks, You probably just painted the airplane. Yeah, the, the paint's still drying. It's still drying. As you, yeah, yeah. And uh, right in the next room over at the front counter of the, the company, I remember we had piled all the flyers for uh, the RV-10. And Van walks by and he picks one up. And uh, the media guy at the time had published 200 miles an hour uh, for the cruise speed at the time. And Van said, no, it's, it's 199 at the most, but I think it's 198.5. <laughs> And you just see the look on everybody's face, like and he forced, uh, you know, those to be reprinted. And we would not go to Oshkosh with 200 because it was a nice number, only one mile an hour away. So, you know, there's there's where it started. And, uh, yeah, I was an intern here and I came back after the, the first internship just on his honesty was one of the main drivers. Uh, and it just reflected, you know, where I come from my own business background and yeah this is going to work it's going to go go somewhere and you started as an intern in, in 98 98 yeah. started as an right. intern at the company and now so we we're finishing up the rv8 at the time yeah he's the president and the, uh, so you were telling me when when you first came in you started work on your first one was the first first rv7a uh yeah i i did work on an rv7a so after i i started um well, I was, you know, just, I was pretty young and I wanted an airplane any way possible. And I didn't have a shop to build it in. And I probably use, I could, I realized I could build everything used and poorly, or I could get a partner and then eventually buy that partner out and, you know, have better quality items in the airplane. So I did get a partner and he wanted a side by side. So we started a six and I realized after building the, the horizontal tail, where I had to build a jig for it and the holes are only in the skin and you had to drill it together and draw a set. I mean, it's just a nightmare that my time would be better spent uh, making the parts matched whole and I'd still be far ahead, you know, time-wise. And at the same time, Van came in with drawings for a common 7-8 wing where we'd up the gross weight, aerobatic gross weight on the RV-8 wing um, and then make a common wing with, you know, a uh, RV6, and I said, yes, I'll go for that. And uh, yeah, Ken Kruger at the time was working on the RV9 pre-punched, and so I adapted part of that. And I started working from the front of the airplane, he's working from the back forwards, and we met in the middle with different center section and uh, those wings, and yeah, that became the first RV7. So my RV7 has a uh, RV8 uh, rudder, a RV6 horizontal, RV4 wingtips, and it all came home to my lunchbox, yes. <laughs> <laughs> it's an RV7A. <laughs> yeah, it's an RV7A. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's awesome. And uh, it also seems like the focus on, on so many of your designs, as you talked about just now with Matched Hole, is really on completion. That's a big, big part of, of everything that you guys do. Can you talk a little bit about 
that because that certainly plays in as as we get to the RV15. Yeah, the you know the I remember on the 80s I was born in 76, so the 80s I wasn't that old, but I you know could read Kit Plains magazine and of course Lancer was just across uh, the mountain range here at uh, Bend, and uh, you had Burt Rutan and all the composite designs, right? And so that was the the sexy airplane out there. Um, but in the end, it's a lot easier to build a metal design. It's also easier to repair and the, the cost and the, just the ease of repairing a design. And so I think that's why, you know, what we have as a kit wins out in the end, in the long run in that, in that effort. And uh, matched hole, yeah, we got our first punch press in 96. And so that was just happening when I was here. We really didn't figure out the math for it until about 2005 to really dial it in. But matched hole, it's more than just the design. It's the fact that our employees, down to the level of the press brake operator, care. And, uh, you know, we may put a plus or minus 10 thousandths tolerance on the drawing, but the punch press operators are trying to get plus or minus two. Wow. You know, so every employee is out there uh, just trying to make the parts as accurate as they can. I can't speak enough for our employees here at Vans. Um, that's also what makes matchful technology work. But yeah, once you had the holes in the, I remember the first uh, seven wing I was talking about, and uh, I was trying to go quick. We did that whole wing design in five months, um, from the beginning till the the plans pages were done, and we built in one day a wing for test. Of course, we didn't care about the long term durability, a structural test, and it had 0.1 degrees of twist. And we built it on a tabletop and self aligned. So we were just going at it and um, game changer. Game changer, yeah. Was it a long day? It was a long day, but it was still like <laughs> he was amazing. He was a AMP mechanic that could work at warp speed. He was amazing. Yeah. To, uh, what do you mean when you say that it took you a while to get the math right for match hole drilling? Oh, that's the secret sauce. We can't tell you about that. <laughs> but interestingly <laughs> enough, the math wouldn't work out right. We worked out our own algorithms, and my mother would give me this differential geometry book from the 1800s you know it looked good on the shelf and i picked up the book afterwards and it had the solution in there <laughs> but uh there is some math to it but there's also a lot of uh, testing involved so we have a lot of good testing capability here um at vans uh and we spend time on testing and we want to understand why and uh so a lot of tables and charts and, and testing back and forth so we can dial in, okay, does the skin have vinyl on it? Does it not have vinyl on it? Vinyl is only uh, a 64th of an inch thick, but we account for that. So when we're dialing in matched hole, we're trying to take into account every variable and uh, you know try to get those parts as close to where they need to be as possible. We start with a piece of aluminum sheet typically, right? And it, of varying thicknesses, but that has a tolerance. We put that blue vinyl on either side of it to prevent it from getting right. hard and scratch. We do that in house here. Right. Um, and then we take those big flat sheets and we load them onto a great big CNC punch press, which punches holes of all different shapes and sizes and basically cuts out and punches holes in all the parts. And then we take those flat sheet parts and we take them over to the CNC bending brake and the guys on the bending brakes take them and they load them in and they hold it there. And then they put their foot on a pedal and a program runs and it bends it. But that bending, I mean, if it matters whether the blue vinyl is on there or not, whether or not it's within tolerance, whether or not the metal is right. within tolerance thickness, and they check all of those things. So to go from an RB3 where it's like, here's some aluminum and uh, draw some 
you know, get your markers out and draw on it and cut it out and then get out a rivet fan and figure out where the rivets go and good luck. Um, and and six, yeah. six, six pages of instructions to where we're at now, which is, you know, I mean, I, I don't want this to sound negative, but it's kind of like paint by number for airplanes, right? It's literally it is. On the page, follow step every one, step. Step two, step three, and here's the pictures right next to step one, step two, and step three. Refer to figure one. You know, and you know we've gone these really three big evolutions of kit, right? There's the there's the you figure it out. You cut out the metal. You you know maybe maybe the parts are cut out, but you need to figure out where the holes go. You do all of that work. Then there's the the match drilling you know you got holes in in one of them in the and skin then, but not the, the understructure but not the understructure so you drill through and then evolving from that into matched hole right where it's matched hole and the holes all line up and you can click it together and it's a self-jigging thing but you need to final size those holes you drill them up to the final size and now you know with the 14 and the 12 and recently the 10 updated it's pre-punched matched hole and they're final size holes you don't even have to upsize them or not so check for burrs and where you find burrs deburr the things all the parts, edges and holes, and then start assembling the airplane. You mentioned wow. earlier that, you know, um, completion, you know, completions are up. So the percentage of kits that are sold and are completed, number one, there's a higher percentage that are completed, much higher percentage. Uh, and they're also completed much more quickly, right? Mm -hmm. So, you know, the RV-14 is a big airplane. You know, it's a pretty sizable airplane, but, you know, and um, it's, you know, we call it the Bubba 7 or, you know, what, what have you. It's a, it's a big two-seat side-by-side airplane. It's got more rivets and, and whatnot than an RV-7 does, but it builds quicker. And it actually builds quite a bit quicker. We have a lot of people, it's their very first airplane. They built it in less than 18 months and in some cases less than a year. Right. Wow. And, and so the, the level of refinement that, you know, that Ryan and the engineering team have, have put into the kits, um, you know, and all the engineers that have worked here over the years is, is really pretty amazing um, it's, right it's it's opened the door to people who otherwise may not have may not have really felt comfortable with the opportunity so let's let's talk about that for a second let's talk about the rv15 and what it takes to go from this kind of i guess what what could be viewed outside the company as incremental designs that all look there's like there's a certain look there's a certain thing that that looks like one kind of begot the other one the rv15 is a bit different at least when it comes to that wing on top so what what's the what's the key there and what was involved in bringing something like that to to life well, it's really it's not only different in appearance it's there's there are essentially no parts on the rv15 that appear in, a, in many of our other airplanes. Right, yeah, every part is pretty much different. We didn't want to constrain ourselves. I know in the 14, we thought we would reuse uh, RV-10 parts out of the tail. There's there was ideas we had in the end. Yeah, It was all new parts anyway. So why constrain yourself uh, from the beginning in the thought process? Um, yeah, so we want a clean sheet design. Especially as the ideas started to come out. Right. right. Some of the detailed ideas became real apparent. But it really started from a marketing standpoint. I, I, I mean, it, if you really want to go back, it would begin in somewhere around 2001, 2003, when the conversations first started. Mm -hmm. And then Van and I at Oshkosh would sit and, uh, you know, debate back and forth. It really, what size of airplane that we were going after, that was the hard thing to nail down because we could have went multiple directions. We could have went to a, a large four place, which would have competed against the RV-10, maybe somewhat, but Hey, if that's what the market really wants. Um, but yet we want to bring airplanes to the widest group of people possible. We don't want something that's so far off the end of the cost spectrum that we're not going to hit the, uh, 
you know, the person really wants an airplane and we're just not letting them have it just due to price. So I didn't want to price them out on the, the size of the engine and require a, a large engine. So we wanted to target you know, 180 to 220 horsepower range. And uh, also I looked at a lot of the airplanes that came up from the, the lower end of the spectrum and well, they started out with a 100 horsepower engine, but now they're trying to put a 320 on it. Why? You know, obviously the market's pushing them that way. So I don't want to design an airplane for uh, too small of an engine. Uh, we know from our experience here, like the RB10, we offered two engine choices, and uh, I think one person took the smaller engine on the history of vans. <laughs> I looked it up, and I think that's correct. Yeah. And so, I think, and I think it's and I think it's one of our demonstrator models. Yeah. Right. I anyway, I don't think so, there's a customer airplane flying with a smaller engine. All that time it. spent, um, you know, and why why make the smallest engine choice so small that nobody ever goes for it? Um, but we do know that 180 horsepower would make a lighter weight airplane in the case of the 15. And anybody who's flown a lightweight airplane knows how much fun it is. Uh, and I get to fly airplanes back to back here at Van, so I can jump in my 180 horsepower RV7, and then I can jump in the angle valve RV7 here, and I can tell you I'd much rather do aerobatics in my airplane, uh, although I can climb better than our RV7 slightly. Yep. Uh, but besides impressing people with the climb out at the local EAA breakfast, I you know, I'd rather fly my airplane. So, uh, yeah, we wanted to allow that lightweight option on the, the 15. People will want to do it, and it'll have some merit. You know, when we think about, like, what are we going to do next, and why are we going to do it? I mean, Ryan's alluded to the fact that, you know, there's a, a pretty complex set of, you know, decision calculus, I guess, right? So, you know, there's there's the... I, you know, I'm the marketing guy and I hate to think about things in terms of market, you know, when this is really a sort of a hobby of passion, but we're a business. And so exactly. we, we need to be able to produce things that um, really put the grin on people's faces and really excite people, including us. And if we're not excited by it, you know, we're builders too, right? So there's a good chance that mm -hmm. that's usually a good clue. But um you know, the concept of total performance, which you've kind of alluded to, right? You know, you land slow, you know. But still go at reasonable speed. But go go at reasonable speed and, you know, and, and, and stretch that envelope as much as you can without sacrificing, you know, flying qualities and, and all the important things that make an RV an RV. Um, you know, we, you know, conversations around high wing airplanes started, what, 20 years ago, give or take, probably, you know, when about what would make sense and when. Um, and it started to make more and more sense. You know, we did a huge survey here a few years ago, about, about two and a half, three years ago, um, of with about, I mean, we didn't tell anybody we were doing it, but we did it. And, you know, with about 4,500 responses, you know, where we were able to take a look at and really understand with, with volumes and volumes of comments and a lot of patterns and information that we were able to better understand. I know I went to fly-ins and, visited people all around the country and asked questions and had 30 and 90 minute conversations around, you know, what, what would you want? You know, what would you mm -hmm. like the next RV to be? Mm -hmm. um, and, and you've done the same thing. And those conversations are really valuable. And um, I really feel pretty good that what we've put together right. and built in the RV 15 is really pretty well hits the mark. And it's not that that's the only idea we got, we've got other ideas too. Right. And, you know, so there's, there's more than just one airplane worth of information and ideas that we have but you know this is the one this is the one for now 
Right. Um, so, yeah, I'm excited about it. I think it's going to be. The, what were the top design goals for the airplane? If you were to kind of like nail it down to a few things, what would you say the RV-15's top design goals were? We wanted to be able to safely uh, allow people to go off field. So that was a design goal that, that drove quite a few other decisions uh, down below that. Because we realized that, okay, people want to do this. Um, how many people really go off field? But if you're going to go off field in a reasonable off field, you know, obviously there's rough terrain that we don't intend the airplane to go over. But uh, if you want a reasonable off field capability, how can you do that with an average pilot and allow more people to safely go out there into the field and enjoy the, you know, the camping, the outdoors experience, uh, everything else that still represents. So that was a overall design goal. Uh, real baggage capacity, we wanted that top speed. So RVs are known for their speed ratio, it's called the ratio of the, the stall speed to the top speed. And how do you not compromise that? And there's quite a few things that boiled out there. Uh, you know, we, but we still wanted a reasonable amount of baggage and that includes baggage volume. So uh, back to another story <laughs> where Van and I are sitting there and we have a, a corner office that overlooks the parking lot. And uh, anyway, Van and I are talking about baggage capacity. And I said, well, it has to hold a bike. You know, we see these magazines at the bike hanging on the strut. And uh, to be honest, I don't know what the vortices coming out the bike are going to be anyway. It kind of, you know, I guess it works. I wouldn't personally want to do it. It's a little, but dra a little draggy. If I could put the bike inside, why not? And Van says, well, you drive this little BMW, uh, you know, coupe. You certainly don't take a bike with you in there. <laughs> and I actually have put two bikes in my BMW coupe <laughs> with the seats down. <laughs> so uh, it is possible. And he kind of threw up his hands at that point. And I'm sure, and you, drove realized, back, I'm sure you drove back the next, next day. Next day with the bikes. Two bikes no, I didn't. Yeah, we accepted each other's opinion at that point. But, um, you know, I think we came to the conclusion that, yeah, if we're really going camping, there's things that take volume, right? It's more than just uh, weight. You can have items that aren't that heavy. Uh, I have a, a lightweight bike that I, I bought, and it's 14 pounds. Uh, so it's not that heavy, but it does take up a volume a space. And we didn't want to compromise that cruise speed by putting all these things outside the airplane. Mm -hmm. um, we still wanted the lift struts because we want the airplane to be lightweight. So to take, you can make a, a lighter weight airplane with the lift struts. And even from our early conversations back in the early 2000s, you need a strut to push on. Um, and float planes usually prefer a strut as well. So there's, there's many reasons to have that, that strut out there. So that, that decision was made rather early on. And then the headroom, you know, it's hard when you have a spar compromising your headroom. RVs are known for allowing tall pilots to fly in them on RV 10, uh, RV eight. Yeah. Uh, it depends on your torso leg ratio, but usually six foot eight, but six foot eight person can fit in those airplanes. It's not eight foot. Not eight foot. <laughs> that's eight. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting that you bring that up because that's a big question that people have, right? Is uh, a lot of people think, modern design would equate to not having struts and they were looking for vans like, Oh, this is going to be the first one that doesn't have a strut kind of like what Cessna did with the, the Cardinal, but you brought up the reasons. I think that's, that's kind of important for people to understand why that happens. Cause do, is it true that, I mean, do you pay a big penalty in speed because you have the struts? Uh, 
Yes, you will pay a penalty in speed, but you gain it back in the, the lightweight end of the spectrum. So again, a lightweight airplane, the lighter weight you can make it, the more you use the load you have, the more performance you get out of the horsepower. And we saw this airplane as speed is nice, but it's not going to be king. It's mm -hmm. not going to drive the airplane, but we still want to be able to fly to our destination because it's probably far away. You know, we live right next to the Idaho wilderness, not too far away. Um, but we realize there's people that might want to fly from Texas up to Idaho or, right. uh, you know, further distances. Well, um, and, you yeah. know, just to put a finer point on it, we live relatively close to Idaho, um, but it takes a lot longer to get there in a Super Cub than it does in an RV-7. Right. right. So, you know, and, and a high-wing airplane, you know, an RV-15, maybe not quite as fast as an RV-7, but, you know, relative to some of the other airplanes that might play in the same, some of the airplanes that would play in the same, you know, sandbox if you will you know our, our what we've seen so far we think we'll be able to do it and our, right. our hope is that we'll be able to get you know uh relative speed performance out of it that'll be appealing to people we'll have right. a custom designed extrusion in the end and fare both ends and mm -hmm. so it'll be as good as it can be now the current right. airplane is current airplane you know you, you've seen it right and a lot of people have seen it and there's certainly pictures online but there's an awful lot of chunky draggy stuff hanging yeah, out there they right were from struts rs and yeah. uh yeah. Bolt still hanging out there and no intersection fairings. And yeah, there's we're already seeing so we're looking at 140 knots cruise speed with the small, you know, six by six tires. That's the target. And I know from a uh, I flew formation with the 15 to Oshkosh. Uh, and back to your comment about it looks like an RV. Yeah, the, the wag your wings, uh, on the, the flight into Oshkosh, they said, yeah, RV and the Cessna rock your wings. And we we're trying to keep the 15 quiet, so it's like. I won't respond back to that one, but it was sure <laughs> tempting. Anyway, <laughs> so yeah, kudos to Cessna. They made a nice looking airplane. But, um, uh, you know, we hope by the end of this, you can you can tell the RV-15 is an RV-15. I think no, 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 no question about that. And, and, and like I said, I mean, I think it, it makes a lot of sense what you're saying. I, I think the average person was just looking at, well, this is a company with expertise in in low wing that that kind of was built that way what are we going to see kind of carried over and and speaking of which that's kind of interesting because when you think about the tail and the uh, uh there was there's quite a few departures tell me about the stabilator approach uh, the stabilator approach uh it's built on many things so i'm hangered with a another competitor's airplane it's from the certified world i won't uh, talk about them but i know the way that my hairmate flies the airplane and you know, he likes to fly into sandbars. He gets over on the approach to the sandbar. He, he runs out of elevator control and he's end up gunning the engine uh, to keep airflow over the, the tail. And as much as possible, I didn't want to run out of uh, control on the tail. And um, one of the airplanes that we've respected over time, we looked at quite a few airplanes and tried to draw the best out of a number of airplanes. We had a matrix of 60 airplanes, and we dialed that down to about maybe eight at the end that we really tried to take features out of. But one is the Helio Courier. Mm. Uh, that airplane uses the same airfoil as the RB7, for example. You know, uh, it was designed at MIT. They knew what they were doing. It's known for its uh, real still performance. So I said, well, what, what did they get right in this airplane? And there's a local guy who happens to have three of them. He crashes one every once in a while, which is why he has three, I think. And uh, he, he used to have three. He used to have three. Anyway, 
he let us come in the back door <laughs> and you know i got to look at that airplane uh when it was apart and and see what what made that airplane work and uh so there is respected designs out there the helio does use this stabilator and i know it had uh you know you have structural concerns see it had to solve that problem when you have a stabilator especially in a, an environment where you're beating the tail up and down uh it's, it gets a lot of abuse and we solved that so uh also with the suspension system on the airplane which we can get into later but um, there's there's some really right unless you have things that you know our engineering team is a bunch of really talented been there done that folks from right. various parts of the industry and um there's some there's some pretty nifty stuff designed into this airplane and right. i mean the suspension system is just one example of that but but that'll protect the stabilator because i know there is yeah. concerns about the structural integrity of it where a stabilator gets most of its abuse is on landing and what the tail is going over mm. um, not from the air flight loads so um a stabilator is just a lot more effectiveness we used it on the rv12 so we knew most people when they fly an rv12 for the first time they over rotate the airplane and then they're fine the second time but they're just not used to if they fly a conventional tail the amount of power that you can get out of a, a fixed amount of area so we wanted as as much uh, tail authority and of course we had planned to maximize the flap area if you've seen the flaps they're they're sizable Oh, yeah. And you have to be able to offset that pitching moment. And uh, also on a high wing, depending on if those flaps start deflecting the airflow down and away from the tail surface, you still have to uh, have tail authority to be able to pitch the airplane. Mm -hmm. But uh, back to the safety aspect, which drove it from the beginning, if you're on approach, you want to be on approach and just set up for approach and not have to touch anything and then execute a great landing and make the airplane. One thing the RVs are known for is making the pilot look good. So, you know, if you're constantly, uh, you know, adjusting things at the, the last minute there, or even gunning the engine, it's it's like a, a variable thrown in there. And, uh, you know, a stable approach for the average pilot is what we were after there. So if, if you have enough authority, we believe you could do that. That makes a lot of sense. Now you mentioned the uh, the, the landing gear and the shock absorption system, and that has gotten a lot of attention, including a video that you released that, that shows how it works, the patent uh, that you filed on it. Uh, tell me a little bit about that, because landing gear and suspension on anything that's going back country seems to be everything everyone talks about. Right, and the biggest difference here, and you know, we're using TKS Shock Monster shocks, uh, the difference here is that it's all internal, right? So, you know, there's a shock on the tailwheel. So Ryan's talking about, you know, taking some of that uh, abuse that goes into the airframe, into the tail, into the into the, the the main structure of the airplane, and taking that and turning it in, it's effectively into heat inside the shock. So in the belly of the airplane, um, underneath about where your knees would be, between the, it's a flat floor, continuous flat floor on the top and, and flat bottom, in an area that's about, this big, there's four shocks, one, two for each gear independently suspended. Um, so you get, you know, that when you're going backcountry and you have spring gear, right? It looks like spring gear, but it's not spring gear. When you have spring gear, you know, you 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 take a lot of a lot of energy out, but then it, it has to go somewhere and it goes back, right? And then and then the airplane tends to do this. Whereas in this case, it's fully dampened on the way out and dampened on the way out and on the way back in. Um, and uh, you know, if you were to see it, um, you know, we saw a taxiing 
you know, over at a local airport out on the bumps and stuff and doing some takeoffs and landings and um, been doing refinements even since Oshkosh, right? And, uh, mm-hmm. and um, you know, it it takes a lot out of it. But the cool part is, is that, you know, it's in this little area down there. You don't even know it's there unless somebody tells you about it, which is why we've been telling people about it. It's no there. drag. And, and there's no drag, right? So, you know, to, Brian, to Ryan's earlier point, you know, we, um, we, we want to, we want to build an airplane that'll perform on the low and slow end of the spectrum really, really well. We also want to maximize how much we can get out of on the top end of the performance spectrum. And, um, you know, there's some really unique design features about the way that it's done and the way that it works, um, you know, to not just do things like, um, you know, you know, act like a shock and take out some of the absorption, but to maximize the efficiency of doing that and to do it in a way on the tailwheel that can help to eliminate things like shimmy and wear and tear on the tailwheel mechanism that you get on a typical tailwheel mechanism. And um, Brian Hickman's the engineer who, who designed mm-hmm. that. Um, Excellent job. Super, super sharp guy. And, and as are everybody that works there, but really neat stuff. And so, um, you know, there's been some opportunities to innovate on some things working on the airplane and that, that makes it that much more fun and, and a little more exciting. We have, we have plenty more ideas that we'll try to plug into it um, as we go. What are some of the things that uh, people, even if they came and, and saw it at, at AirVenture, may not necessarily have noticed that you're especially proud of in, in, in kind of unique features of the aircraft? The visibility, because they wouldn't have been able to sit in the airplane at Oshkosh. Yeah. We had it set up for flight test. Uh, we purloined a Cessna 150 seat. If yeah. you wonder where, <laughs> where it came from at the last minute and uh, threw that in the airplane. It wasn't last minute. That was built early on. But, you know, it's just we didn't have time. Um, but you wouldn't have been able to, yeah, the visibility in the airplane. So uh, we're used to to low wings with really great visibility. I mean, the RV-12, the over-the-nose and over-the-wing, the, the RV-10 has the same feature because you're sitting so far forward. You can almost forward. look straight down. You can almost look yeah. straight down in RV-12. Yeah. So we didn't want to lose, you know, that with the high wing as well. We didn't want your eye to be up in the uh, the airplane next to the wing where you're looking at the wing instead of out the airplane. So I designed it so your eye would be just below the door sill. And if you wonder why, you know, our doors are opening forward. And uh, once the airplane goes on floats, that's actually preferred. So you can help steer the airplane with the door. Uh, there's other reasons why people like in a float airplane, the door is going forward. But I didn't even want to waste the space uh, beneath the wing to have a door that pivoted upwards. Um, so keeping that visibility is as good as possible looking out the side of the airplane. But then the over-the-nose visibility, it started out with the, the 14 configuration, um, pilot and engine relationship, and then we just tweaked it from there. But we have, uh, I think we dropped it 1.3 inches uh, up near the nose of the airplane. The visibility of sitting in the seat and looking out the front is just incredible. Right. If you if you sat in a 172, for example, you know, and you've got that 172 mic and that that panel's coming up to right about here, you know, it's about your nose level. <laughs> right. If you're my height, at least, um, I'm not the tallest person in the world, but um, this is fundamentally different. You know, I mean, this the panel's down below your chin. And when you're looking out, you don't even really see the cowl because the cowl is moving away from here. And the visibility out the front is pretty incredible. So Axel Alvarez, uh, we haven't mentioned him yet, but he's our test pilot, uh, known in the RV community. We're so happy to have him join our team. And uh, on the the first landings, he was three-pointing it without knowing it. 
A, because you have the suspension system, and B, because he was trying to get the nose up higher to get a better visual picture, and he thought he was wheel landing. <laughs> so, you know, the, just the, and then the, the view out the side door. We'll offer, we have another door underway that's composite frame that's more conventional, uh, but we still want to give that, that lower visibility plexiglass in the lower portion of that door. Maybe we'll have a fold-up window in the upper half of that door, but um, the current are they're plexi all the way down the side. So the visibility there that you, you can see straight down. I was going to ask you if that's a real thing, right? I mean, a lot of people have seen that and said, is that kind of like going to the auto show and seeing, you know, what, what, it, what it could be, or is that for real? It won't be exactly the way that it is, right? It, it's never straight yeah. down, straight down. I mean, if, yeah. if you did a, a flower drop contest, I'm sure you'd realize that straight down isn't straight down. But, um, yeah, it's, it's pretty amazing, the view, uh, looking, looking down out the side of the airplane. So you're going, you're, people are going to be able to get that full plexiglass door. Yes. We'll call that the observer door. And uh, I don't even think we need to bulge out. The, the airplane's the same width as a 182, uh, wider than the early 180s, Cessna 180s. So, yes, I did fly 180 as part of this project <laughs> a bit. And, yes, I do bring my measuring tape with me everywhere. <laughs> inside the upholstery can, on the airplane was, that. It was 39 inches. Well, learned that from Van. Yeah. And uh, anyway, it was 39 inches inside the upholstery. Well, we're 46 across. So the same as a 182, same as an RV10, same as an RV14. And with only the width of the plexi, you know, you're, you're getting that full advantage. So, uh, yeah. you know, we might have a door that is bulged out on the side, but you already had the great visibility down. So I'm not sure that's even necessary and why go any slower, you know, why disturb the airflow. So uh, those will be the observer doors, yes. But uh, one thing that they wouldn't see at Oshkosh uh, that we really tried to design, one of the design goals, uh, I had got in a lot of other airplanes, and they're hard to get in and out of, especially if they have a control stick, to get your foot around them. And I would have Van get in and out of different airplanes. Uh, you know, and it, it gets interesting. He's 83 years old. He's very spry. You know, he'll get down, pop down on the ground, work on underneath his glider and pop back up. And, you know, getting out of a glider, you're in a flat position anyway. Uh, but he's, he's pretty spry, but still uh, getting your leg around the control stick or even getting up in an airplane. Uh, those are things that we wanted to make as easy as possible. So if you slide the seat back to the B pillar, that's the pillar at the back of the door opening. Um, and then the, the control stick is a D shape. So you can push that forward and swing your feet in behind it. And you're right in the airplane as easy as possible. And then slide the seat forward. So we extended the tracks further back just to get inside the airplane. And the door size is not only to allow baggage. Now, when you put baggage in the airplane, what that seat that we had at Oshkosh doesn't show is I plan on putting a slit in the front of the seat. And that'll be able to slide up around the control stick so that you can slide the seat up forward and up to the instrument panel. So the back is up against the instrument panel and uh, only the width of the stick is between you and the instrument panel. And then you won't have to remove the seat to put things into the airplane like bicycles. We can put a bicycle in the airplane without removing the seat. Um, but also you can lock the control stick. It makes a great control lock just built into the seat at the same time. So those are the little details, but mainly the visibility, because that's key. With this suspension system, we have seven inches of travel at the gear right now. Um, and we're looking at 
you know, playing around with ratios and, and altering that as well. But at seven inches of travel, even on the six by six tires, uh, we're operating off that. It's not on the runway. It's on the grass portion over there. It's not a, that improved. And, um, you know, you, you can operate off some pretty rough stuff if you have seven inches of travel and six by six tires. Uh, so you should only have to go to 26 inch tires. Uh, we will try larger larger tires, but then you retain that great over-the-nose visibility. So when you're landing or when you're taxiing the airplane, and we feel that will make the airplane a lot safer. Uh, and we we had a whole engineering meeting where we watched the Valdez uh, stole competitions, and you watch people coming in like this. They can't see, you know, try spot landing when you're coming in at that altitude versus the airplanes that were more reasonable came in at a lower deck angle. You have a lot more control and insurance rates are real uh you know we all know that and rvs we have equivalent safety record to ga so long term i'm looking at how can i design this airplane so that insurance companies will insure our airplanes like they do currently at the same rate that they do ga airplanes you can go out my airplane i play the same rate that the guy hangered with me in the certified airplane is paying so um I want to retain that and I have to find a, a way to make the airplane safe to fly. Makes sense. So the, you're looking at people being able to go off field without before even going to bush wheels and big things uh, that they should be able to do some stuff. It would be 26 inch tires. You know, really it's more about what the tire is going over because of course you don't want an object above the axle line of the tire. It, mm. Uh, so what, you know, if you're on a sandbar that has reasonable rocks, you want the 26 inch tires right. just to be able to go over objects. But once you get to the 31s or especially above, uh, a couple of stories there, there's a local airplane manufacturer, uh, not really in business anymore. Uh, and they had, I'm not sure what they were. They'd be the largest tires I'd ever seen. They were huge. I mean, it had to be. Fine 34s on, on one that's still. Flies. Yeah, okay, yeah. but it was much larger than that. There were, yeah. And I watched him ground loop the airplane, and the tires would bulge out. They got in this oscillation. Uh, I know Van was uh, down at a glider competition, and they had a stole airplane there towing gliders, and a uh, guy got on the brakes. And if you have that large of a tire and that much moment from the, the brake action, over on the nose you go. Right. So, there's a balance there. So you need a tire large enough to go over the, the objects that you're going over on the ground and then let the suspension system do the work. And you're going to go faster if you have a smaller tire as well. Right. No, that makes a lot of sense. Tell me also about when it comes to the building uh, of, of the aircraft. Now that you've, you've ah. obviously gone with pulled rivets. Uh, oh, but I have news. Kind of. Kind new of. news. This is, uh, yeah, new news. Uh, <laughs> not released from Vans Aircraft. So, uh, and this is post Oshkosh news. Post Oshkosh news. Breaking so, news on Social Flight Live. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What's going to be? So, I wanted to allow. Uh, as engineers, we wanted solid rivets. You know, especially when you think of a seaplane, the long-term durability. Uh, floats introduce really high loads into an airplane, and we have ways. We won't reveal them yet. How we think we can even help that, but uh, pulled rivets, we wanted solid rivets, but we have thin skins to reduce the weight, especially on the wing, and how do you do that with solid rivets? And I just don't want to introduce soft rivets to this company. 
or a builder's workspace because how are they going to keep them straight? And it'd be, you know, just the thought of them mixing it up in the wrong location where you needed a high strength rivet with a, you know, and not noticing that the high strength has a little dot in the center. Um, no. So what we've done since Oshkosh is I uh, worked with our uh, assembly manufacturer, quick build facility over in the Philippines, and they did a whole bunch of test samples with solid rivets. And it looks beautiful on thin material, regular 80 rivets. Um, so we'll definitely be able to offer quick builds with the solid rivets from Vans on the 15. And I think that's the ticket. If you don't want to take the time or don't think that your riveting skills are up to it, but if they are, you will be able to, you know, take the parts out of the box, dimple them for the solid rivet and go at it. But uh, yeah, it looks like we'll be able to offer a quick build solid riveted option for the 15. Wow. And will, will it still be an option for people to go with pulled rivets? Yes. And, and after we started building the prototype, we really didn't get into the prototype till February. The main structure of it. Yeah. The, the, the bulk of the work. Yeah. The bulk of it. Yeah. And you know, so we had to get this thing done by Oshkosh <laughs> and it's a brand new design. We'd never done a high wing before. So we wanted to leave enough time at the end that we weren't unsafe in the flight test program. So that can tell you how fast we built this airplane. And we realized just the benefit of the, the blind rivets and how much more rapidly we were able to produce that airplane uh, with blind rivets. And plus, if you got one guy in one shop, um, you know, if that's what he yeah. wants to do or, or her, uh, him or her, uh, if that's what they want to do, then, um, more yeah, more power to well, him. I can, I, can, I can say as someone building with a, with a whole lot of blind rivets behind me, I, I, do, I am a fan of it. I will say it's, uh, it is, uh, there's, there's advantages, as you mentioned, to both. But it's not, when I saw that at, at AirVenture, I was uh, looking at that thinking like, wow, this, this thing would go together quick and easy. Right. Well, I think even some of our engineers that have been involved in the project have, you know, initially, their initial opinion was, yes, pull rivets bad. Um, don't accept it. But then after being involved in building and then after actually seeing the testing and being hands on with the pull rivets, right. they realized, you know what, there's something to this. And Yeah, we and, have uh, uh, Bernardo Melfitano. He's out of Boeing and he's done fatigue tests for them. And, uh, you know, he had RVs. He's owned two RVs and he jumped at the chance to come work for us. We're yeah. thankful to have him. And we have a fully, we, we could do certified fatigue work here. That's how professional our fatigue test setup and machine is at Vans. And of course he's a professional at it. Um, and we determined the, the fatigue life of an LP 4-3 is great. You go to the CS 4-4 and you'd have to have much closer spacing. They're not that great. Um, but uh, you know, compared to a solid rivet, yeah, probably LP 4-3 is comparable to soft rivets, um, at least for the first 20,000 hours, and then it starts to divert, and the soft doesn't look quite as, as good. Right. Um, yeah, the, the, at that point, right. so as through the fatigue life, the, the LP 4-3 pull rivet actually appears to hold up better over time, although both hold up for a long, long time yeah. in the test. But we have rivets facing designed into the airplane to go both ways. So, and then the way it's constructed, there's no place uh, except for the top of the A pillars currently where you'd have to use. It's just so small as the the front pillar gets narrow and near the top that you can't get your hands inside. We didn't want to compromise the design just to allow you to get a bucking bar in there. So, right. 
No, that makes a yeah. lot of sense. So we're as we get closer to the top of the hour, what's what's going to be the next, I guess, data point or next information for people uh, when they uh, want to follow what's going on with the RV15 if they're if they're kind of uh, sitting there chomping at the bit. Right. Well, we're in flight test. We're abusing the airplane right now, abusing the landing gear. Uh, we've got the flap system to uh, full deflection, so we're working through that, trying to get our landings shorter. Yeah. Um, yeah, we've made changes to the to the landing gear configuration and the pressures and just the suspension performance. Um, and like you say, flown to a full 50 degrees of flaps, which, right. I, which I hear was interesting. Yeah. So, and... Um, and learning a lot. I it think, wasn't an unsafe condition. We can say that. Oh yeah, no, not but, interesting. But, path, uh, but you know. we still have a lot to learn from it. Right. Um, and I think that um, there's not going to be a whole lot of big news for the next little while, and the reason is, is that you know, as Ryan said, you know, we're doing these this iterative testing program where we have certain things that we anticipate, um, and we're approaching things. And keep in mind, this is a clean sheet design, right? It's a brand new airplane, and it does behave in ways that are different. In certain configurations and regimes than that another RV would, and so you know the approach to this is to you know a, um, a iterative testing process, and um, and it's flying most days right now, mm-hmm. um, and making good progress. Um, but yeah. we we have a lot of we will learn from what that experience is, and then we will refine and we'll make changes, and then that will go into the next set of iterative tests, and then. And then eventually out the other end comes, you know, a final kit design. Um, I think we've said that we expect, you know, kit availability for the first kit, potentially if we're guessing, and I would, I would uh, definitely say guessing, you know, in the 12 to 18 month time frame mm-hmm. was what we're shooting for. But fundamentally what we're really going to do is we're going to continue to develop and iterate until we get it right. Um, Makes sense. I, I like what Ryan has said, and I've heard him say in the past, which is, you know, we'd rather do it right than do it right now. Um, you know, that that's a, I'm paraphrasing, of course, but, you know, I mean, I think that, um, uh, it's good. We have marketing people to rephrase your phraseology yeah. <laughs> or engineers. We don't have a hope. Grammar, please. Yeah. <laughs> Excellent. Um, uh, we're excited about it. You know, I'm, I'm confident that people are going to love the airplane. It's going to be, it's going to be a special airplane. It's going to be a lot of fun. Wonderful. Well, Ryan Johnson and Greg Hughes, president and vice president of Vans Aircraft. Guys, thank you so, so much for taking time this evening to join us here on Social Flight Live and talk about this amazing and exciting new aircraft and all of the work that you're doing at Vans. Uh, I, I have an awful lot of respect for that. And my my hat's off to both of you. Well, thank you so much for the opportunity. Yeah, we appreciate it. It's good talking Absolutely. to you. Absolutely. I hope you'll come back and we'll uh, get some updates on this and everything else happening at the factory in the future. Glad to do it. Glad to do it. Absolutely. Have a good night, guys. Good night. (laughs) And to all of you, thank you so much for taking time out of your evening to join us here on Social Flight Live again for another wonderful evening with some of the most inspiring people from general aviation. In uh, next week's show, uh, Tuesday, September 13th at 8 p.m., former Thunderbirds pilot Nicole Malakowski will be here on the show talking about pilot health and some of the challenges that she's overcome and is working through in her life. It's gonna be a truly inspirational show and I'd encourage you to put that on your calendar to be with us next Tuesday evening, September 13th at 8 p.m. for Nicole. She is 
She's truly a spectacular and wonderful individual. The following week on Tuesday, September 20th, Lightspeed Aviation founder Alan Schrader will be here talking about some new news out of Lightspeed. So be sure to check that out. Very cool stuff coming. And on Tuesday, September 27th at 8 p.m., as always, we're here with Don Durston from NASA's Ames Research Center talking about the X-59 supersonic aircraft and the work that NASA is doing on being able to break the sound barrier over land without the challenges that sonic booms present and have prohibited uh, supersonic aircraft from being able to do in the past. It's going to be a very, very interesting evening with Don learning about what's going on there. Until next time, thank you again so much for joining us here on Social Flight Live, and I wish you all blue skies. 